I got a question for you guys. Have you ever thought of how cool it would be to have Jesus physically here with us? Like sometimes you read scripture and you're like just longing to be one of the disciples to walk through life um, with Jesus for three years as your friend, as your helper, as your counselor. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, how crazy would that be? How cool would it be to have Jesus here physically with us? But then I came across something, and it kind of shook me a little bit. Um, And I was reading in John 16, verse 7, and this is what it says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So wait a minute. How is it that we're more excited, or at least I am, more excited with the idea of Jesus physically being here with us than the reality of who we have in the Holy Spirit within us, that we have God inside of us? I think a lot of us, myself included, are so far removed from the idea of the Holy Spirit and understanding who he is and what he does in our own lives that we, we miss out on a life that God had intended for us and what Jesus was saying in that passage. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, many of us tend to kind of wrongly think of who he is and what he does. Uh, we kind of think of him as maybe this weird sort of uncle that shows up at like a family reunion. I don't know if you guys have family reunions, and it's kind of just awkward. Um, we kind of think of him as like this emotional kind of experience or a spontaneous experience. Or maybe you got up this morning and your Cheerios spelt something other than ooh, and you thought that was the Holy Spirit maybe talking to you. Uh, But oftentimes we remove really who the Holy Spirit is based on what the Bible says about it, about who he is. We make him kind of one-dimensional, like a one-trick kind of pony, uh, that he brings these these gifts that we all should want. um, And he's reduced kind of, like I said, to this odd sort of uncle Um, that makes things awkward. He brings tongues, and we all should want that, even though we don't really understand what it means, um, that he brings words of knowledge, and we should really want that. He brings the prophetic. He brings healings, right? It's kind of this weird stuff that we don't really have a category for, and I'm not saying that he doesn't bring those things. I'm just saying to reduce him to that being his only role in our lives is to really rob him uh, of what he is and who he is in our own lives as we follow Jesus. And there are tons of different texts to go to this morning, but I wanted to kind of pick one. Um, And this one I really like because it's Jesus, so a member of the Trinity, talking about the Holy Spirit, another member of the Trinity. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John 14, or if you have your smartphones or iPads or whatever. um, John 14, starting in verse 18. As you guys are turning there, I'm going to read and you guys can listen and catch up. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. So just stop there a second. Hold your place there. What's happening is, is they're closing in to Jesus going to the cross. And he's telling his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven And I'm not going to be here in physical form anymore, but I will still be here. So you can see how that's a little confusing, right? Um, You're not going to see me. You will see me. No one else will see me. I'll be here, but I'm really not going to be here. 
So I'm guessing the disciples were, were kind of jostled by this, a little unsettling. Um, so let's continue on, verse 20. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot. I think it's funny how that's in there. I love that part. If you're going to put my name in there, make sure it's not the Iscariot Judas. I'm a different Judas. Uh, Don't mistake me for that guy. Please include that in the text. Um, So verse 22, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? You see, he's kind of confused. Like, wait, you're saying you're going to show yourself to us, but the world won't be able to see you even though we will be able to see you. Is this going to be like a a covert operation? Are we going to going on as like James Bond? Like, how's this how's this going to work? But it continues, verse 23, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So I want you to keep your, keep your spot there a second. I don't know if you guys know the, the story of Oliver Twist at all. The, the play, Oliver is basically orphaned from the moment he's born. Maybe you remember back to high school lit, which was maybe just a few years ago for you guys. Or maybe college lit. Or maybe you just watched the movie, or you saw the community theater perform Oliver Twist. Um, or maybe you're just kind of vaguely familiar with the story. But I'm going to give you a little background of Oliver Twist. Oliver Twist's mother's di- mother dies in childbirth. Um, it was an illegitimate pregnancy in that day and age, so the father was nowhere to be found. Um, so Oliver's in this state of being an orphan. And he immediately is, is brought into this orphanage that is cruel, that is awful. Um, and probably one of the best known scenes in the, the, the story of Oliver Twist is when he draws the short straw and he has to ask for more food. The audacity for an orphan boy to ask for more food has the taskmaster kind of up in arms, just frustrated, and he puts him into this thing called an apprenticeship, which for us, that sounds kind of nice, you know, like apprenticeship, awesome, but it was actually really hard child labor. Um, And this whole play, this whole story was actually written as a social commentary against the practice of that day and age of using orphan children for hard labor, but Oliver is now part of this apprenticeship. Um, he's, he's treated poorly, he's not really fed, he's abused, um, he's beaten up by one of the older kids, um, and even the taskmaster's wife abuses him. And then ultimately the, the taskmaster beats him, and he's, he's sitting here in his bed and he's weeping, and he decides he's going to fix his life. He decides he's going to escape, his plan is, I'm going to escape, I'm going to go to London. And so he runs away, he runs to London, And he runs into this crew of boys that are a blast to hang out with. They're awesome. Uh, They're funny. They laugh. And they start to tell Oliver of this this man who loves them, who is for them, who provides for them, who takes care of them. And this man's name is Fagin. And Oliver is introduced to Fagin. Yet Oliver's best attempts 
at digging himself out of the hole he was born into only served to deepen the hole. The more Oliver tried to fix his life, the more his life was broken. Oliver's story is him trying to get out of the jam he's in, and yet every time he takes a step forward, it seems like he's taking two steps back. Like I said, this is a social commentary, um, but I would argue that each of us in this play, in this reality of Oliver Twist, kind of see a mirror into our own life experience. Like the more we try to get ourselves out of the hole that we're in, the more we try to dig ourselves out of that hole, the messier our lives tend to get. If I could paint a picture for you guys, we're all born with this kind of discontentment. Uh, we're born with this desire to, to belong in a way that's already beyond what we already have experienced by the grace of God. Like we have our parents, um, but if we're honest, early on in our development, we see our parents as kind of part of the problem, something that needs to be solved. Like maybe for you when you're a teenager, you found yourself saying like, my parents are trying to run my life, right? Like what are they, what are they doing? They don't know what they're talking about. That's kind of the teenage experience that sees our, our parents as part of the problem. And so we can't belong there. So then we look, we look elsewhere. We have our, our family and that's not really good enough. By the, by the grace of God, we have that. Not everyone has that, that kind of story. Um, but we see them and we're like, we can't even belong with our, with our own family. So we look to our peers, right? Maybe we can belong here. Maybe um, we begin to, to see groups that we feel like we're, we're gelling with. We are attracted to maybe good-looking people or the athletes or maybe the artists, the musicians, maybe the gamers. Um, I don't know what the story was for you growing up, but we begin to try to seek belonging in those groups. We just want to find our spot. We have this desire to belong, yet nothing satisfies that desire. Maybe you experience this belonging and you start to belong, but as you belong with people, you start to see that people have issues, right? We all have issues, so we try to fix them. Maybe for you it's your roommates, it's your friends, it's your parents, or even your spouse if you're married. What happens when we try to do that? It gets, it gets messier and messier. And messier, the more you try to fix, the more you try to pull everything together, the more it falls apart, the messier it gets. And then sometimes we, we come to church. I'm not saying this is the experience here, but sometimes we go to church and we hear a message of here's what you should be doing, here's what you shouldn't be doing, um, here's how you do it, and if you don't do it, that's not good. Like something's, something's wrong with you. So we're all faced with this reality throughout our life experience that our best isn't good enough. Our best just isn't good enough. We're doing all we can in our relationships and marriage. It's just not getting better, and we're con consistently facing this reality, and we're almost stuck in this kind of orphan state of being like Oliver, and the more we, we try to fix our lives, the more difficult and messier things get. And I want to try to speak tenderly both to myself and to you guys and to the reality of you and I not being good enough and our best not being good enough. Our best is not good enough. But who, who told us that it would be? Where did we get that? Maybe we watched Rocky 3 like too many times and we're like, yeah, we got this. Where did we get the idea that our, that our best would ever be good enough? Are, are we God? Are we omniscient? Are we omnipresent? Are we all-knowing? Where did we get the idea that 
if we just tried really hard, that our best would be good enough. In fact, there's a real sweet peace that comes, and we're going to talk about it later, of understanding that it's not. See, so much of the stress and the anxiety that we, we feel, this overwhelming weight um, that you and I carry, lays around the reality that we think our best is good enough. And if we just tried harder, if we just did it better, it would fix things. And it's why the first verse of this text, going back to verse 18, is so profound. And this is Jesus speaking, No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. So the solution of our best not being good enough in all these different areas in our life are solved in the adopting work of the Holy Spirit through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have now been rescued and and ransomed, pulled out of this cosmic orphanage kind of experience that we've had. And that's what we see happening in the next verse. We're brought into the family of God. Check out verse 20. Look at this. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And here's what he's describing. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the need for Jesus. And and putting our trust in him is is him not leaving us as orphans, but coming to us. And we've been brought into the family. It's not saying we've been brought into the Trinity, but we get to experience being into the family of God and, and really the overflow of the Trinity in our own lives. If you think about it too, being a son or daughter of God Being adopted into the family of God becomes an identity marker for us that nothing and nobody can take from us. Because everything else can be taken from us in this life. I want you to think about in your own life, what identities do you have? What are the things that define you? I'll give you an example of my own life. So I'm the the son of my parents, Deborah and James. Um, And there could come a day, God forbid, that one of my parents is gone that they're lost, maybe a terrible accident, a sickness. We all live in a, a broken world, and I can't control these things. I can't be a good enough son to protect my parents from that reality. There could be a day that that happens, so then I would lose that. I'm a youth director here at, at BEFC, and all it would take is a vote, right? And then I'd be gone. Hopefully that doesn't happen. We'll see. But sometimes with this, these kind of things, we have this false identity, of like, hey, I'm, I'm secure in who I am at work, in my family relationships, um, outside of that, maybe hobbies, whatever. But every identity marker that we have can be taken from us because we're not all powerful. We're not all knowing. We're not everywhere at once. And we live in this broken world just like everyone else. But being called into the household of faith, being called a son or daughter of God means I have the one thing that you cannot touch. No matter what happens in this life, it doesn't change, right? No matter what happens, I'm secure in that. I'm loved, I'm provided for, I'm saved, I'm ransomed by God. I am a child of God. I have been adopted into the household of faith, and that cannot be taken No matter what comes, if I get sick, it's still true. If I die, it's still true. If I'm broke, it's still true. If I'm no longer a pastor, it's still true. It's the one thing that no one and nothing can take from me. It's my primary identity, 
and out of it flows who I am, how I operate, how I live my life, how I see the world around me. And this is what the Spirit of God does. He ransoms us out of being spiritual orphans and pulls us into the household of faith, giving us markers of of being known, of being loved, of being provided for, cared for, and pursued by God. Then check out what happens next. Verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Verse 23, Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and I have this underlined in my Bible, if you want to underline it, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. What I want you to notice, what happens is, is we're orphaned, we're pulled back into the household of faith, and then we begin to look like a family. We begin to take on the traits of the family that we've been invited into. And I want you to see here, too, also in this passage that our obedience is not driven by, like, fear or trying to do better. It's driven by love. We're not obedient in order to be loved, but we are loved, and we understand this love that God has shown us, and that love drives our obedience. If you're paying attention to the text on repeat, he's simply saying, if you love me, you'll be obedient. Where there is obedience, you can see that you love me. Where you aren't in obedience, you can see you don't really love me. We can see that the primary driver of the Christian life is not just discipline. It's not just self-death. Like, those are part of it, but rather it's love, right? And if you think maybe you're sitting there like, okay, Braxton, like, love, really, love, then there's no discipline, there's no self-sacrifice. I would just argue that the higher the love, the greater the capacity for self-sacrifice, for suffering, and ultimately for, for discipline. Like, the more you, you love something, the more disciplined you'll be towards that thing. Even if you're more skeptic now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out here. So I'm going to use, there's hundreds of examples, but I'm going to use one in my own life that I love to do. I'm going to use a hobby. So if you're a hunter, if you like to hunt, welcome to Minnesota. If you're against hunting, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, but that, that involves some sort of discipline, right? So like waking up at 3 a.m. and covering yourself in deer urine, um, and then going outside where it's like 15 or 20 below zero, sitting in a cold blind or tree stand or at the base of a tree, like that's some serious commitment. And maybe some of you guys roll deeper than I do, and you have a heated blind, and you have someone who lines up the shot for you, and you just pull the trigger. I'm not going to go there. I don't consider that hunting, but hey, if you love it, whatever, it's great if you call yourself a hunter. But whatever your hobby is, right, if you love it, you're going to be disciplined about it. You're going to give up some things so you can pursue that, um, and you're going to be willing to, to lay down your personal preferences for that thing. The more we love something, the more apt we are to be disciplined, to be self-sacrificing, and even give up our own personal preferences. And I know parents in the room know this more than anyone else. 
with their kids. You'd probably take a bullet for your kid. And when I'm talking about obedience being driven by love, again, don't hear that there's no discipline, that there's no turning away from sin and turning to Christ. But just to encourage your heart, the reason I underline that verse that I talked about a little bit ago, verse 23, we will make our home with him, with them, is because of how homes actually work. I don't know what your home experience is like, um, but for me growing up, I had these things called chores, right? So chores were basically tasks. I'm not going to define it. I'm just kidding. You guys know what chores are. Um, but so I had these chores, and during the week, we could only watch TV or play video games like 30 minutes a day, which is grueling for me. Uh, but the weekends, all bets are off as long as chores are done. Like, we're good to go. And so my parents, anytime it was a weekend, I'd be playing video games or whatever, they, they'd come to me and they'd be like, hey, did you do your chores? Uh, my chores, um, no. And then they'd be like, why, why haven't you done those chores? I'm like, you know, I'm just busy or whatever. And then they'd give you that look of like, I can't even like emulate it, but it's like staring through your soul. Like, you go and you do your chores. So the moment I would see that look, it's like, okay, I'm going to go do my chores. And so one of my chores was to vacuum the entire house. Seems like a really big task, right? Vacuum the entire house, a lot of work. And so I would go, and I would vacuum the house. And I would spend a long, long time vacuuming the house, about 45 seconds. And then I would come back, and I'd play my games or, or watch, watch TV or whatever, and my mom would come down, and she'd be like, hey, did you, did you vacuum? Yeah, yeah, I vacuumed. She's like, are you sure? Yep, vacuumed for a long time, 45 seconds. She's like, son, Superman could not vacuum the house in 45 seconds. So my mom did what any loving parent would do. She took me along to see how I did, right? She's like, let's go just check out how your vacuuming job went. Let's, let's see what you did. Let's check it out. And so basically 10 seconds into this process, we'd come across just something, you know, fill in the blank. It could be anything. It could be like Cheez-Its that were like dumped and like someone danced on them and they're just sitting there like a giant pile. And she'd be like, hey, did you see this? Oh, no, I didn't see that. There's, I just missed it. I don't know how I did, but I missed it. She'd be like, how could you miss this whole thing? Like you're supposed to vacuum the floor. How could you miss this? And so she just went along with me and kind of walked through the house. And this is really a, a picture uh, of what we get in this, this verse, verse 23. We will come and make our home with each of them. Because what's being illustrated here is not that our whole house, our whole lives are clean, our whole hearts are clean, but that our love and our desire um, to, to have lives that look like that, invite the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with us through our lives and say, hey, like, look at those crushed up cheeses right there. It'll be nice when those are going to be gone. Like, bugs are going to get in here. It's going to smell. Bad stuff's going to happen. So let's, let's clean this up. I'm going to help you get this cleaned up. This little sentence, I will make my home with them, is a beautiful sentence as we consider that love drives obedience and that God is in our lives that he cares that much about us, that he didn't leave us in our state of inability as orphans, but that he sent us Holy Spirit to make his home in our own lives. And I don't know if you've experienced like God 
opening more doors in your life, like in the depths of your soul. Like maybe you're in a really great spot with God right now. Like someone were to ask you, like, what's, what are you struggling with right now? You might say, you know, honestly, truthfully, honestly, there's not a lot going on. Like I, I feel like I'm in a really good space. But then the Holy Spirit kind of says, hey, do you know what's behind that door? And you're like, what door? <laughs> like I, what door are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's pretty nasty what's behind that door, Braxton, but I love you enough that I'm going to open it. Could you, could you not open that door? But I, I need to open this door. Okay, open it. Like, that's the kind of experience when the Holy Spirit makes his home in our hearts and our lives. We, we, we are revealed to things that we didn't even know were issues in our lives, some, some problems, some things that are deep within us. The Holy Spirit opens those doors. And then to kind of fuel our adoration more of, of Jesus, of God, of the Holy Spirit, we see the next few verses. Check it out, verse 25. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you everything I told you. So we have in this back part of John chapter 14, about the Holy Spirit is how the Holy Spirit informs us and stirs up our adoration that drives our obedience. And we see right out the gate two things. These aren't the only two things the Holy Spirit does a lot. But in this passage, there are two things that the Holy Spirit does. Look back in verse 26. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit does these two things. First, he teaches us more about Jesus, about God. He does that primarily through the Word of God. So maybe you're like, man, I'm not in a good spot with the Holy Spirit. You might just not be opening up your Bible. So you can stop, start there. Uh, but the Holy Spirit also dials us into the beauties of creation when we're out and about, beautiful sunsets, and even impressions on our hearts. So we see someone in need, and our heart kind of just breaks for them and compels us to action. But it never stands in contrast of what the Bible says, of what biblical obedience looks like. In the end, the Holy Spirit begins to, to teach us. He's crazy about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's making a lot about Jesus, about, hey, look at Jesus in John chapter 4, what he's doing, um, what he does for Zacchaeus, a wee little man, and just consider what does that mean um, for us and how he views us. So he's going to teach us about God, about Jesus, but he's also going to remind us. And regardless of any time of human history, any person you can think of, myself included, the people of God are prone to forget the faithfulness of God yesterday and simply complain about what we don't have today. This is myself included. I'm not saying that I'm exempt from this. The people of God are prone to forget the faithfulness of God yesterday and instead sit in a type of complaining posture about, what they don't have today and how God hasn't done what he should have done and how they can't really trust him despite of this huge evidence of his faithfulness, even the fact they're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to teach. He's going to remind us. And on top of that, there's even something more like it gets better and better. On top of that, you not only get this learning and remembering, this reminding, but check out verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled 
or afraid. Jesus is saying, there's a type of peace I'm going to send you in the Holy Spirit that's different than the type of peace that the world has to offer. So you might be sitting here this morning, what, what's the difference? Tell me. Well, to simplify it, what I mean is that the world can't keep its promises for us to actually walk in peace. Just to put flesh on it, I want you guys to remember and think back to the Titanic. You guys remember that? Like, here's an unsinkable ship, right? No way. Don't worry about this cross-Atlantic adventure. Like, even if there's not enough lifeboats, like, don't worry about it. It's unsinkable, except that it sank. And this part of the city, if you live in this part of the city, if you move there, if you put your kids in this school, in this kind of environment, they'll be protected. They'll turn out just the way you want them to turn out. See, the, the peace the world says, offers you, says that you are God and you are good enough at your best to make happen whatever it is you want to make happen. The peace of the world is, hey, you can do this. Like, work harder in your marriage, you got this. It'll work. Work harder on your children, helicopter parent, it'll work. Get yourself in the right situation. All the pressures of success falls on us. And we wonder why we're exhausted, we're burnt out, we're weary, and we're obsessive, anxious, fearful people. But Jesus says, that's not how I work. I'm going to step into the space where you know that your best is not good enough, and I'm going to let you melt, knowing that you're not, but I am. The peace Jesus brings is this odd kind of peace that lets me embrace that my best is not good enough, and no longer is that going to cause anxiety in my life. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to make my life seem like it's awesome. And I... When I hear, like, I don't measure up or my best isn't good enough, let me show you how, how that brings peace. So, parents, I need some crowd participation here. Parents, anyone blow it this week as a parent? Raise your hand. We're not alone. I'm not a parent, so not, you know. So keep your hands up, though. Can you keep your hands up? I'm not saying you ruined your kid forever. Like I'm saying, maybe you just said some things that you wish you wouldn't have said. Um, how about married people? You blow it this week? Maybe you said some things that you shouldn't have said to your spouse, or maybe you didn't say some things you should have said to your spouse. You keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. All the hands are going down. Single people at work this week with roommates, 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 and other relationships. Um, issues this week, yes. Um, students, maybe you talk to your parents, talk back to them, like issues. So with all our hands up, pretty much everyone in this room, if you don't, I don't know what you're living in, la-la land. Um, but we're all universally not very good, right? Like, and I'm not trying to, to beat ourselves up here, um, but I'm trying to help us realize the peace that God has to offer. Like, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be overwhelmed for those of us who are following Jesus, um, that, that he is faithful, that his, his righteousness has made our, our righteousness, that it's not us doing these things and trying to earn this kind of love, but we can just melt knowing that Jesus is, is there for us when we, we can't do it anymore, when we've blown it. And so your best will never be good enough. I don't know if this is like an encouraging word or not, but don't let that bother you. Let it melt your heart. Let it help you depend and rely on who Jesus is. 
And the more we learn about who Jesus is, this actually helps the peace in our life. Um, the more we learn about Jesus' faithfulness, about God's faithfulness, the more we're able to walk in the peace that he has to offer. And so our adoration is kind of built up as we learn more about who God is and the faithfulness of God and who Jesus is. And we're granted that, that peace that passes all understanding. And so my question for you is, is where are you being led by the Holy Spirit today? Where in your life is there maybe delayed obedience or maybe fear-driven obedience? Maybe there's an area in your life where, where Jesus is really kind of calling you to go. Maybe there's some people you need to confess some stuff to to bring some freedom in your life. Where is the Spirit of God leading you? And maybe this morning you're, you're feeling like you're exhausted, you're burnt out. You're trying to live this life on your own and you just can't. And maybe you haven't put your faith in, in Christ before and followed him, but maybe the Holy Spirit opened your eyes this morning to the reality of what, what Jesus has to offer. That there is rest that we could find even in this life, even in this current state we live in. If that's you, feel free to talk to some people over in the prayer corner who would love to pray with you, or you can talk to me after the service, and we could talk more about what does it mean to follow Jesus and put our faith in Christ. But don't boil the Holy Spirit down to just this, this bringer of gifts, of signs and wonders, and, but that he actually lives in us, and that changes how we live, that changes how we see God, that he cared enough to send the Holy Spirit to abide in us, which is crazy. So with that, I'm going to read from the Bible a prayer, and this is my prayer for you guys. This is found in Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul's kind of prayer for the church of, of Ephesus. So I'm just going to pray this over you guys and myself today, and then we can, we can head out. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day, guys.